to Unbroken Podcast. I'm Alexandra Amor, author, coach, and a lifelong explorer of what it means to be human. This is the podcast where my guests and I explore the inside-out nature of life and the psychological paradigm called the Three Principles. We explore the positive effect this can have on every aspect of our lives, including resolving things like unwanted habits, anxiety, trauma, depression, and more. You'll find episode show notes, transcriptions, your complimentary Freedom from Overeating Starter Kit, and lots more at unbrokenpodcast.com. And now, here's the show. Jack Pransky, welcome to Unbroken. I'm very happy to be here. So nice to meet you. Nice to meet you too. It's a pleasure. Thank you. So why don't you tell us a little bit about your background and how you became interested in the three principles? Huh. Um, so many people have heard this story that it's I have a hard time like recreating the bit. Uh, <laughs> but um, I was involved in the uh, field of prevention for many, many years, prevention of problem behaviors, you know, alcohol and drug abuse, child abuse, domestic violence, delinquency, all things like that. And um, I got to the point where I sort of knew what I was doing. And um, yeah, I decided to write a book about it called Prevention, the Critical Need. And just before that book was about to go to press, I was invited to a prevention conference that a fellow named Roger Mills was speaking in. And um, I was suspicious because I, I had just spent three years of my life uh, trying to find out what worked, and I'd never heard of this guy. But when he brought a couple of people with him from the housing project that he worked in. He was talking about how um, the uh, housing project, which was a horrible place, had gotten completely turned around. And I could tell from listening to these people that their lives would never be the same. Like something deeply had happened with them that we were not used to seeing in prevention. So that's what got me hooked. And I ended up uh, going, asking Roger Mills if I could write a book about what happened in Modelo. And so I did that. And um, then I had to find the source and the source was Sid Banks and the rest is history. Mm -hmm, <laughs> as they say. Well, that was, that was one of my questions. So tell us a bit more about that book and about the community of Modelo. Well, the, the um, Modelo was known to be one of the um, most difficult places in near Miami, Florida. And it was really a, a kind of a horrible community to have to live in because there was violence everywhere. Drug gangs were on every corner. Uh, there were uh, shootings, uh, tr tremendous domestic violence, tremendous abusing kids, uh, crack addiction. It was just horrible. And uh, so Roger Mills thought this would be the place, you know, to, to test out whether, whether you know, Sid Banks's ideas are not ideas, what he had 
uncovered would um, work in a place of that magnitude as opposed to the individual people who were like hovering around him at the time. And um, so he went in there armed with only his knowledge and understanding of the three principles. Might not have even been called three principles then. And um, he and hope and hope and being able to see through the presenting behavior to the core of health and beauty inside people. And he also never gave up, even though a lot of them wanted him out of there and did everything they could to get him out of there. And so um, he really uh, began to just a few people at first started catching on. And then they got together as a as a group that served as both a um, kind of like a parenting course and a PTA and also doubled as a tenants council for the area. And so little by little, people started catching on more. And even though a hand, you know, maybe 10 or 12 people really caught on to it and their lives changed completely, it had a ripple effect throughout the whole rest of the housing project and the whole housing project changed. Mm. And it took two and a half years for that. Wow. And when you when you wrote the book about this experience, so you mentioned that you wanted to get back to the source of where this idea had come from. So did you at that point sort of track down Sidney Banks and talk to him? I did. I heard that my cousin, George Pransky, was um, doing a seminar with him in Vancouver. And I was supposed to be doing a prevention training in Atlanta, I believe. They were paying for me to get to Atlanta and back. So I bargained with them to <laughs> to to uh, ship me over to Vancouver and back. And at that time, staying over a Saturday night made it much, much cheaper. And so I was able to, you know, bump into Sid Banks at that time. At first, he said he couldn't see me and, you know, couldn't talk because he had people coming in from all over the world. But then somehow I ended up at a uh, lunch with him and a bunch of other people. And that's where he literally blew my mind apart. Mm. I wrote that story up in Seduced by Consciousness. Mm. It's, uh, it's an amazing story to me, but you know that's only because what happened to me is indescribable. So it's in my head, my own head. <laughs> right. And you mentioned your work in prevention. So this must have affected that tremendously. Yeah, I I tried to then uh, convince the field of prevention that going in the inside-out direction was more efficacious than going outside-in. And I was basically met with uh, deaf ears. Mm. I mean, some people caught on, and that was that was beautiful and they, you know, their lives were changed and they were able to help others even better. But as far as the entire field goes, no. Hmm. Because at that time, interestingly, this whole notion of um, what first was called 
research proven programs and then was called evidence-based programs and came in. And so they started only paying attention to the programs, prevention programs that had um, a lot of research behind them that showed that they were good and they put all of their money into that. And there was no room for innovation anymore. Mm. We in the free principles world or health realization, as it was called at the time, didn't have big money for research. All the little research that we did, you know, was uh, showing great effects, but we couldn't show it on a, on a like a peer reviewed kind of level that we can do today. Mm-hmm. Wow. And did it end up changing the field of prevention? No. Oh, still to this day. To this day. I'm not, totally giving up on it (laughs) but it's uh harder to do from a retired or semi-retired perspective yeah i imagine but i am apparently doing a keynote speech for the new zealand and australian mental health association in in may and uh, so i'm talking to a bunch of traditional psychologists and we'll see how that goes. Oh, nice. Well, have you been to Australia before? I have. In fact, oh. I, I did a keynote for their organization many, many years ago when I was first getting into the principles, but I was doing it on prevention at the time. I didn't know enough about the free principles then to speak with it with great authority. Mm. Nice. Well, it'll be great. Good to go back, I'm sure. Yeah. One of the things I wanted to talk to you about today was you had mentioned in a blog post recently about the wisdom of waiting for clarity and especially in a crisis. And this is something that one of the first things that I really learned from the three principles, and it may have been from your, your book, actually, that where I first saw that mentioned, just that uh, you know, there's no need to rush into making a decision that waiting for clarity is such a valuable tool. And I'd love for you to talk about that a little bit. Well, first of all, if it's really an emergency, like you have to do something right away, <laughs> you have to do something right away. Right. You do whatever you can do in that situation right away. But more often than not, we tend to react to crises and emergencies through our um, typical knee-jerk reaction kind of thinking. And if we do that, it's not going to come out that way. Our wisdom is embedded in us, in our spiritual essence. And we can only hear it when our mind quiets and clears. It's always speaking to us, but we can only hear it when our mind quiets or clears. And that's what we want to be guided by in life with crises or pretty much anything. Once, When I learned to, to do that instead of like uh, plowing ahead with my typical thinking, it really changed everything. Now I really take a step back, wait for my mind to clear, 
which doesn't always happen right away. And I know that when I hear wisdom speak to me, it, it has a like a, a knowing and a certainty about it that feel that sounds different and it feels different. And so that's what I am guided by, and that's what I hope to be guided by. Me too. and i noticed when i was first learning about this understanding because preparing the questions for you i was sort of reflecting on this and when i was first exploring this understanding i noticed you know i would if i was in a situation and i felt like i had two choices and neither of them felt quite right i hadn't had that moment of clarity i would get impatient after a day or two and i would just pick one uh, and carry on that way. And inevitably, it, would, it wouldn't it would work out as well <laughs> as when I learned that, you know, sometimes clarity takes a minute to arrive. And there was never any pressure. You know, I wasn't in an emergency situation. I just had to learn to wait for that feeling. And it, it is, as you say, it, it was a, it's a very specific feeling when the right answer comes along, the clarity. And also, it doesn't always sound logical. Right. <laughs> like, the wise thing to do doesn't always sound logical. and Sometimes it sounds really weird. And I've learned to trust it anyway. Mm. Hmm. It's hard at first. It is. Yeah, yeah. But, We're just, I was so used to trusting my brain. Yeah. And so Thank it was, you. a yeah, it was a new muscle that I had to develop. And that's okay. And... And I still slip up sometimes. It's actually not even a new muscle. It's like a releasing of all muscles. Oh, <laughs> so, true. So the, you know, the, the wisdom can come up to us through or through us, you know, from uh, God knows where. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, exactly. The universal mind is really where. <laughs> right. Yeah. And so the first book that I read of yours was Somebody Should Have Told Us. And that book introduced me to the idea of not thinking our way out of problems, which was really new to me and a little disorienting at first. So can you talk about that, about not thinking our way out of problems? Well, in a way, it's just what we were just talking about, because we all have intellects, some are stronger than others (laughs) and um, for the most part we have tried to um, use our intellect to get through life and it hasn't always worked because the, the place of wisdom and insight comes from a completely different realm it's something that really does come through us and not um, is manufactured by us. Like the intellect is kind of manufactured by us. But so with wisdom, it's like we're releasing all the stuff that we know and we go into I don't know mode. And I don't know mode is a really beautiful place to be because it kind of clears the decks and it allows for things to bump up to us, you know, to 
come into us. And um, it's it's such a beautiful thing when that happens. I, mean, I was talking to, I think I put this in Seduced by Consciousness. I was talking to a medical doctor one time, doing some coaching with him. And he was having, he applies his intellect to to everything. And so I said to him, so like if you, if somebody comes to you and you've gone through all your intellect, you know, and, you, and, and something isn't quite right and you don't know what it is, do you bear down and apply your intellect more or do you take a step back and, you know, wait for clarity? And he said, I take a step back and I wait for clarity. Now, he was not doing it with his um, primary relationship at home. So I said, well, why? if it works there, why wouldn't it work there? But he couldn't you know, he couldn't handle that idea for some reason because mm -hmm. he had different thinking about what a relationship, dealing with the relationship was like and what dealing with um, at work, medical practice was like. See, he, so, you know, that was a very interesting conversation. I'll never forget it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and When we when we're learning, is there anything you could say more about when we're learning to trust this wisdom that already exists within us? Um, anything you can point people toward about that? Well, yeah. What what's worked for them um, in the past, mm. even though they didn't know what was going on. So I used to, in my trainings, I used to ask people all the time, you know, where are you or what are you doing when you get your best ideas? And people would come up with things like taking a walk just before I'm going to sleep, just when I'm waking up, uh, when I'm in the shower, you know, doing the dishes, you know, a lot of the, the common denominator in all of those things is the mind relaxes. Mm. And so that's what, that's what we want to happen if we want to really see our way through things. We want our mind to relax. And the tendency is to do the opposite. It's like the tendency is to bear down so that we can get it right. Because sometimes um, stepping back and waiting for clarity uh, feels too um, passive or something. You know, but but it really isn't. You know, we could bear down and and uh, really make something happen, but as you described at the beginning, it doesn't always work out well that way. Yeah, and so many big decisions in my life. I find every time I've gotten ten miles down a road and then realized I didn't want to be on that road, it was because I forced a decision and didn't wait for clarity every time and the other part of what is built into our uh, spiritual essence is pure peace and pure love and that's what exists or resides in everyone even people like the people in Medela who are you know having all of those horrible problems everyone and when we can first 
see that, well, first of all, in ourselves, then see that in other people, and then help people see that in themselves, that's what really makes a difference. And to know that we can only think our way away from it. Like, that's the most humbling thing to me of all. We've got all this beautiful stuff inside us, which is there already. We're looking for it, but it's there already. And yet, we can only get in our own way. I mean, there's nothing about the three principles that is more um, amazing to me and humbling than that. Mm. And when people catch on to that, their lives change. Yeah, so true. That's so great. We touched on prevention earlier in your work, both before and after you found, discovered the three principles. What is the spirituality of prevention? <laughs> well, the spirituality of prevention was something I actually got into before I found the three principles. Mm. It was like, um, well, various people in the very few people in the prevention field were looking in that direction. But I was on a spiritual search before I bumped into the three principles, where it then screeched to a halt. And, um, but before that, I was going all over the place. I was like reading all kinds of spiritual books. I was um, listening to spiritual talks. And I was trying to grasp what about those things could be applied to the prevention field. And so that's what spirituality prevention was about, essentially. And then there were practices, you know, like meditation and yoga and all those kinds of things. And it was all over the place. And myself and a couple of uh, partners of mine, we had formed a group called Prevention Unlimited. And we put on the first spirituality of prevention conference in the in the country. And that was right about at the time when I was starting to first get into the three principles. And so I gave a workshop there on that on that thing. And now I I really see the principles as the the only real way to get a grasp on spirituality and prevention. Mm. I may be prejudiced, but it, it really has worked for me. And I've seen so many lives change as a result that most people who work in prevention don't see. And so I, I'm, yeah, I mean, you couldn't, you couldn't knock me off this track, no matter how you try. <laughs> And so often when it comes to things like addiction, people are talking about recovery. So with prevention, what sort of um, communities or groups are you dealing with? People who are vulnerable to those kinds of things? Well, anybody really, but particularly communities that are vulnerable. I mean, what we used to do in outside-in prevention is we would, we would you know, give people information we would teach skills. We would build supports. We would create healthy environments. 
in the hope that those things would um, help people's minds to to change, you know, and they and they would experience um, healthy self perceptions. What now? It, well, which would in turn, you know, help people have a, a, a sense of uh, health and well being about themselves. I mean, that was that was the idea. So. Prevention from the inside out changes that completely around. It starts with the premise, as I was saying before, that we all have health and well-being inside us already. It's just covered up with by our own thinking. And we can, when we can point people in that direction, then they start to see that in themselves they start gaining healthy self-perceptions. They work to change the conditions in their environment. Um, they make things better for themselves, around themselves. And that's how prevention starts from the inside and goes out. And then when a critical mass of people in a community like Modelo catches on, it can change entire communities. Mm -hmm. And does Modelo still exist? Uh, I hear that it's been um, completely turned into uh, a different kind of housing. Mm. <laughs> but even at the time, Hurricane Andrew came by and wiped out the entire community. Mm. so you couldn't and I mean I, I went down there a month after that mm. and you, I mean the place had been blown apart literally mm. half of everybody's houses were gone and so you couldn't really tell whether it would have had lasting effect over the years except if you traced the lives of the people which is what I did and and uh, and they, their lives continued to be healthy and change even in the face of that. Mm. Wow, what a testament! You know, if given that everything they'd been through, that's amazing. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. And it, it it's it is the model for how this can be so helpful to humanity. Mm -hmm. And I personally wish that more people involved in the three principles were taking it into communities. Mm. Yeah. Once Roger Mills died, um, and it, it, it just kind of, um, that emphasis fizzled. Mm. Mm-hmm. And I remember from your book about Modelo that, you know, it did take some time for him to get a toehold in there. And I wonder, like, it seemed like a real challenge for him. Well, I, he had a really good attitude about it. It would be a challenge for most people. Mm -hmm. It was a little for him, too. <laughs> people do everything in their power to get you out of there. <laughs> Which, which you know, you can totally understand. But his his attitude was, 
of course they're going to be acting this way toward me, given the way that they're thinking. Mm -hmm. Force attitude to it. But he knew that's not the way they really are. Right. So, yeah, it's more difficult than coaching people one-on-one. It's more difficult than going into businesses. It's more difficult than um, working in groups with people. To go into communities like that. But it's the biggest bang for the buck, you could say. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Sid Banks always had this feeling that the three principles were meant to be helpful to humanity mm-hmm. and that we are to be of service to people and that to me needs to be and continue to be the primary emphasis mm, I love That's that just- well no I love that that's great yeah <laughs> Speaking of which, you mentioned you're sort of semi-retired now. And I noticed on your blog, you thought of, we're recording this in very early January, 2024. You thought of December 31st as kind of your, the, your retirement day. Of last year. Of last year. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, of 2022? <laughs> yeah. It, oh. It didn't work out that way. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> um, It's kind of a joke, really, but. I mean, <laughs> I I consider myself semi-retired now. To being fully retired was just not in the cards. Mm. So now I pretty much wait for people to find me if they do, and if they don't, I'm happy. With mm. that. <laughs> I have just enough work to keep me going. And when, I mean, you mentioned the word service, and I love that. And so when something is, um, has a feeling like that, I I imagine it's impossible to just set it down and walk away. It is. I'm afraid to say that it is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, I really do still have this, um, I don't know whether you'd call it an urge or desire or something to be helpful to humanity as much as I can. So even though right now, most of my focus is on um, writing a book about my hobby, music, Mm -hmm. uh, I still cannot, when people contact me about doing something like yourself, I can't, I can't turn away from it. Yeah. Well, I love that. Thank you for Thank you for doing this. I really appreciate it. So we're getting sort of towards the end of our time together. Is there anything that we haven't touched on that you'd like to share? Um, Well, I want to reemphasize something. Okay. The principles really, at its essence, only means two things to me that we have this pure spiritual essence embedded in our pure consciousness 
connected to the purest part of universal mind, which gives us everything we need and we can't get away from it even if we tried. And then we have thoughts. And we can, and our, and our thoughts get picked up by our consciousness. And consciousness, its job is to make it look real. So it sends it through our senses and it makes it look very, very real to us. Which is why we get deluded into thinking that it's reality as opposed to just an illusion of our own thinking. When we're able to see our problems as illusions of our own thinking, we are free. And those two things, to me, are all we need to know about the three principles. Mm -hmm. And it's only a question of going deeper into what those two things really mean. People make it very complicated. Sid Banks was always telling us we make it much too complicated. Just beginning to grasp a tiny bit of what he was talking about. Mm. It took me years to get there. And well, and I would say though that the title of your book, Seduced by Consciousness, is a really simple encapsulation of of that idea. Yeah, it makes people scratch their heads at first, which is good. But, yeah, I mean, whatever we think and believe with more thinking, we're going to get seduced by as reality. Mm -hmm. very, very tricky. Because it's almost like the ego's job to make us believe it. Because it doesn't want to relinquish itself. It's like holding on to itself for dear life. <laughs> and we will do everything its power so that we don't realize this. Yeah. Yeah. So true. That's so great. So where can we find out more about you and your work, Jack? Well, um, my, 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 um, <laughs> my website is not really that active, but it is www.insideoutunderstanding.com. People can look me up on Facebook slash Jack Pransky. Um, I posted a couple of things that I'm doing in my semi-retirement. Um, one thing I'm excited about is uh, when I go to Australia, I'm going to be working with a couple of people to do a, a, a training now in Bali, which mm -hmm. is on my bucket list. So um, things like that are what keep me going. Nice. Okay. And I will put links in the show notes to your website. And, and we've mentioned your books a couple of times. So let's just talk about that. So your books are mentioned on your website as well. They are. Um, somebody should have told us is probably my most popular book. It's the one that people look to for um, an entry into the three principles a lot. And Seduced by Consciousness is like the advanced version of that. Modelo is, a, is a, just an incredible story. And I'm not saying that because I wrote it, because it was an incredible story before I wrote it down. Of how, step, you know, how, not step by step, but 
the story of how uh, this horrible community was completely changed around. Uh, I have a book called Parenting from the Heart, based on the three principles. One called Hope for All, which is interviews, extensive interviews with people whose lives have turned turned around by the three principles and then are going off and working with others about it. Paradigm Shift was about the history of the three principles. Wrote, written, co-written a couple of uh, books for kids, little kids, and one curriculum for middle school students. So I've been um, involved in writing. <laughs> Plus, I've co-authored a bunch of uh, research articles, peer-reviewed research articles with Tom Kelly. Um, so that's that's what I that's what I do mostly. I mean, I'm I'm, I'm a writer. Mm-hmm. Well, and I, for one, am so glad that you captured the story of Modelo and also this sort of the history of the three principles in Paradigm Shift. It's um, it just feels so important that those things don't get lost. And I love that you did that. They must have been enormous projects. They were much bigger than I thought they were going to be. (laughs) (laughs) I bet. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. But it's, I think it's so important historically to see, to see how that, those things happened. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Jack Pransky, for being with me here today. I really appreciate it. It's my pleasure. It was fun. Take care. Bye-bye. You too. Thank you for listening. I hope you found the show helpful and uplifting. You'll find all the backlist episodes and show notes at unbrokenpodcast.com. To learn more about how to resolve an overeating habit in a way that's unlike anything else you've tried, get your complimentary copy of my Freedom from Overeating Starter Kit at alexandraamore.com forward slash starter kit. See you next time.